1: owner of two businesses with a focus on fitness and business consulting. He has been on the Forbes Under 30 list along with TEDx Talks. He started his first business at age 11 with a high-speed reality check to follow. His new book, The Self-Help Book, Six Practical Ways to Never Stop Growing. It's a true self-help pocket guide that serves as a quick reference for every growing business leader.
0: Good morning, Jared. Welcome to Business Owners Radio.
2: Hey, good to be here.
0: Yeah, Craig and I are really excited to have you on today. We've been following a lot of your work and not just your influence as a personal trainer and nutrition specialist, of course, your success of your company, Superfit Foods, which is a subscription based meal prep company, which is such an interesting and growing area of the market. And of course, the work you do to help others grow as an educator. So, really curious. What got you into this line of work? It seems like a mashup of a lot of your talents.
2: Yeah. So, I think I've had an entrepreneurial spirit my whole life, and at the real root of the word, I have a hard time with all of my interests, and so I try to do the best job possible at becoming good at the things I'm interested in. And I think one of the best things about that is that you know, by teaching, you typically learn the most, and so being ambitious about knowing all these different modalities, it just led me to become a teacher at heart. But as far as writing a book, that was probably the last thing on my to do list as a kid, as far as from being realistic, getting into fitness is really a gradual step, you can go to the gym once, twice, three times, but committing to writing a book is kind of a different deal in and of itself. So that's kind of a, a whole different story.
0: Let's start first <laughs> with some of this earlier journey, and then tell us more about what led up to that.
2: For me, I really believe that some people are born entrepreneurial and some people become entrepreneurial. And for me, it was something that was just really driven out of the environment that I was raised in. We were poor and it's kind of that sort of cliche story. I grew up on the other side of the tracks. We weren't really given the luxuries that most kids were given. And even you know, in the neighborhood that we grew up in, which is a low income neighborhood, we were even like the poor kids in that neighborhood. I remember going to school and For context, we rode like a city bus to school and the kids going to school would have like Nikes and I didn't even have Nikes. So I would just draw it on my shoe and I would get made fun of. I remember like getting ink in the wash and getting like whooped by my dad because I tried to draw, you know, Adidas or Nikes on a pair of socks or something like that. And so my entrepreneurial spirit was really birthed out of a need or a want to fit in like at at, at the entry level. I don't know that I was extremely ambitious right away. It was more or less like I just want to be like the kids in the neighborhood. And then from there, I was gifted. I mean, I was like, good at math and good at people skills. And so from the age of like nine, I was able to learn basic arbitrage skills. I mean, me and a couple of kids on the way to school in the mornings would go by a gas station and there was these two kids, they were twins, and they were really good at stealing. And that's not something I'm necessarily proud of, but they would go in and I would sort of distract the cashier and they would steal a bunch of popsicles or something. And we'd go to school and I'd sell them. We would make like 30 bucks and we'd split it three ways. And then after a couple of times of doing that, I didn't really need them to steal anymore. So I would just buy the popsicles, you know, not the ones that melt, but the ones that are like wrap. And Perfect. so I did that for a little while until I got caught at school and got in trouble. And so that allowed me to make a little bit of money. And then around sixth grade, I got into smoking pot. And then really the same thing happened. I would save up five, 10 bucks to have enough money to buy some pot for the weekend. and Then it turns into 20 bucks. And then I bought enough to where I could sell some to friends. And then all of a sudden I realized that not only did I have some of my own for free, but I made a little bit of money. And it wasn't really my ambition, but it happened sort of accidentally. And there was like a light bulb that happened in literally sixth grade where I thought, man, I can just sell this to my other friends in school, have free pot for myself, and then a little bit of money for the weekends. And then it became skateboarding money. And then I got good at skateboarding. And then I started to get free things because I was good at skateboarding. And then I'd sell those things at school. And that really was what began to nourish my capitalistic entrepreneurial mindset. Unfortunately, that is a slippery slope, at least back then. I mean, these days, depending on what state you're in, that could be a great career choice. But you know, back then in Central Florida, it was frowned upon. And at 17 years old, I ended up getting caught. And at this point in time, I was selling a lot more. I had moved out of my dad's home at 16. And I was living in my own apartment, selling weed by the pounds each week, literally to all my friends, parents, school teachers, all the kids in school, everything. And so I got caught and I was 17 at the time. I'd been in and out of juvenile my whole young adult life. So it didn't really scare me, but they charged me as an adult. And that's when things sort of changed for me.
0: I mean, what did that look like?
2: So uh, I ended up spending like one night in what we call the JIT dorm. It's a county jail, but for people under 18, they get charged as an adult. And that was just like during the preliminary hearing. I would like to say that I was scared straight, but I wasn't. It was very scary though, because a lot of the kids that are in jail that have been charging adults are in there for some crazy stuff, not selling pot. You know, I was in there with one guy that burned down a church. He was like 14 years old. And I was in there with another guy that was in there for like a hate crime that I'm not even going to explain. So it was really scary. But when I got out, it didn't change much for me. In a couple months throughout the hearings, they ended up, Charged me as an adult, but by that time I was eighteen. I had just graduated high school, and I ended up spending the summer after my senior year in jail. And that was when a lot changed for me. That was a miserable but eye-opening experience.
0: It's like you were educated by the streets, right? And you had sort of these people skills that turned into transactional skills. And obviously, you were bright enough to realize how to create something out of nothing, which is right. at the seat of every entrepreneur. But yet the dark side of these activities lands you in jail. So you're in a cell for three months?
2: Yeah, unfortunately.
0: You got to make some choices.
2: Yeah. And so this season of my life, I think growing up, I had a chip on my shoulder because we knew that we were poor. And we were not only poor, we were like the poor kids in the poor neighborhood. And I was short. I'm a short guy, but I was really short growing up. I grew seven inches my junior year of high school. So like my ninth grade year, I was 95 pounds. So
0: So whoever has that pot can stunt your growth.
2: Uh, Yeah, probably didn't help. Um, And, you know, in retrospect, obviously, I wish I would have made a a handful of different choices. So I had a chip on my shoulder. I was a minority in the neighborhood. And so I think growing up, I always just thought that life was tough. I didn't believe in God. I didn't really believe in follow your purpose. It was more or less like I'm going to get mine. I'm going to sell pot. I'm going to make money. I'm going to pursue wealth and fame or whatever. You know, I mean, I was young. And so going to jail was a real eye-opener. Like, you know, life really wasn't that bad (laughs) compared to this. And so in jail, two things uh, dramatic happened to me. One, I found God and I found my passion for personal training, which really evolved into my passion for the fitness industry in and of itself. But, you know, having to quit smoking weed into obviously going into jail, that was a big transition for me because weed was literally everything that I knew. I would sell weed all day and I really enjoyed it because I enjoyed dealing with people. You know, pie heads aren't really like other drug users, and we don't need to get into that conversation entirely, but it wasn't that bad of a job to me. I, I loved the people that I dealt with, they were a bunch of my friends. So, anyways, I knew that I had to transition, but I didn't know what I would do next because that's all I did for the past six years. But I knew that I did like to work out. I wasn't super into it, but I liked it. I liked to teach, I liked to lead. So, in jail, I just right away became the guy that made up these workouts. And in jail, it's not like the movies. You don't have recess where there's bench presses and basketball courts outside. That's a prison. And this is county jail, which is way worse because you're there for a short period of time. So you're inside of a dorm room for 23 and a half hours a day. So I would make up workouts. We'd use a deck of cards and get creative. And so people started coming to my room and saying, what's today's workout? And one day this guy was like, Jared, you should be a personal trainer when you get out of here. And I really didn't know what that was. So I was like, what is that? And he's like, they get paid to train people like you're doing And I'm like, that's fascinating. Like, I would love to do that. So when I got out, you know, and this is like 12 years ago, I went home and like hooked up the dial up connection and probably asked Jeeves or something how to become a personal trainer. And that's really what got me started on this fitness entrepreneurship journey.
0: Man, and so from there, you get out, you become a trainer, you have sort of this new outlook on life and a new thing you want to bring to the world. And that leads you to not just becoming a trainer, but starting your own fitness firm and your nutrition firm.
2: Yeah, it took a little while. When I got out, I was on house arrest for two years. It took about a year for someone to give me a job at the gym because of my record. And, you know, this is such a different time. You had to walk around with a resume back then, you know. And so eventually I got a job doing sales at a gym, ended up moving up as a manager, ended up moving around as a general manager of a nationwide health club. And in 2015, I took the leap of faith to open my own gym. I had a business plan designed. I had an investor and I moved from Jacksonville back to Lakeland where I'm from. And the weekend I moved back, the investor called me and backed out. You know, and this is my first rodeo, literally. So I didn't know that a handshake deal didn't really mean much. So at this point, I was really fell flat on my face. I didn't have the capital to run a gym or to open one. So I started personal training one-on-one at a local Gold's Gym in Lakeland, Florida. Dead broke. I mean, I was staying at my buddy's place rent-free for the first couple months, just doing free sessions for the first month at Gold's Gym until I could build up my book of business. And within a month, I was fully booked because, again, I'm I'm great at sales and I'm great at training. So that was really easy for me and it was really enjoyable. And then a couple months into that journey, I had found the inspiration really to start a meal prep company. I mean, the writing was really on the wall. And a guy who was a member at the gym sort of proposed the idea. But first he was like, do you want to open a gym? And I said, no, I think God really wants me to do something else, but I don't know what that is. And he's like, what about meal prep? You're a nutrition specialist. You're a bodybuilder. All your clients do basically anything you say. I feel like you could do this. And I thought, that's right. Let's do it. And so in May of 2015, I came up with the name Superfit Foods. I got the LLC and really started to figure it out day by day.
0: Amazing. And so how has the growth of that business led to some of your other consulting work? And how does that relate to the insights you've had around personal growth?
2: Building, sustaining, growing, saving Superfit Foods over the past six years has taught me a lot about myself, about business, about people, about commerce, about entrepreneurship, about clients. And about two years into the journey of building Superfit Foods, we grew really, really fast. First year, I think we did like 500K in revenue. And that's like straight word of mouth, me dabbling a little bit with ads. Second year, we doubled. And so after that, people started to reach out to me for business help. And I I think I've always had a good bit of business acumen prior to starting a company. I'm a naturally pretty good teacher. And so people would ask me for help more often than not. And I thought, you know, this is something I should take advantage of. And so I started a consulting agency called E3 Business Solutions. It stands for encourage, educate, and empower. It's sort of like the approach that I take in that order. And so That led me to start that company because I needed to create a legitimate platform for being able to help people. Instead of just grabbing coffee from time to time, I wanted to actually have a a plan and a strategy for helping some of these small business owners. So I started that. And Superfit Foods is the greatest challenge of my life, and I'm hoping that it can even I can say that later on that it's still the greatest challenge of my life because I had no place starting a meal prep company. I had no experience in the back of the house of a restaurant. I had served sushi for like two months when I was a teenager. And that's really what it is. 90% of what the company is, is a ghost kitchen. We produce thousands and thousands of meals a week and then they go out on the road, middle of the night, Sunday and Wednesday, or they ship via FedEx or UPS. So it's food production at the heart of it. And I had no experience in that. So it was such a journey to become a CEO of of a food production company and not even really a service-based food production company because we're shipping it out. You know, people aren't tipping us for being polite and remembering to fill up their water over and over again, you know?
0: That's right. But they are paying you for pre-prepped nutritional food. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you control the growth and the production of that? And where is the company now?
2: Fortunately... I think one of the things that I was born with was a a zeal for learning, like I love to learn. And if it wasn't that way, then this company wouldn't have worked long ago. So I accept the challenge of learning something new every single day. And really, almost every single day, there was a new challenge with Superfit Foods, whether it was learning to manage the finances at a high level, because we're dealing with seven-figure numbers, which means we're dealing with close to seven-figure expenses, or whether it was food production, right? Like buying, preparing, and shipping out 5,000 pounds of chicken every three and a half days, food quality standards, building a restaurant. We built two kitchens so far. So I had to learn everything because the sales and the marketing piece, which obviously is what helps us grow and reach new people, that came natural to me. So that was, we'll say 10 to 15% of building the business, but the rest of it was team building. It was finding the right people, positioning them in the right positions to lead the right teams, learning how to hire better so I don't have to learn how to fire better, counting my losses. and There's so many lessons over the past six years that I've had to learn in order to continue to grow this business. A lot of tough experiences with people. ended up buying my partner out a couple of years ago. That was a painful but necessary experience. We ended up partnering with a tech firm to build one of the first meal prep apps and that went sour. We had to start all over from scratch. And Almost lost the business because we lost a ton of money on that project. And fortunately, it all worked out. But just some really, really tough and enlightening business lessons along the way that I was forced to have to learn and grow and be resilient every single day. Keep the mission at the forefront of my mind, because if Super Fit Foods was ever just generally about money or profitability, I would have given up a long time ago. But where we're at now, you probably don't expect to hear this, but a month and a day ago... I sold the company. So I'm 100% exited. I'm still participating in the transition for whatever they need from me. But the way that I had built the company, the way that I like to explain it is it can run itself. It just can't grow itself. So the staff that I've put in place, the leadership that I've structured and the SOPs that we have documented made the transition extremely easy. So there really wasn't much from me after the buyout took place. And so now the team that I put in place is running the company and the executive team of the Public company that bought us out is sort of orchestrating their growth strategy. And I'm working on my next thing.
0: That sounds awesome. Just thinking about what does this next thing look like? And I really want to dive into the book a little bit. So you write this book, the self-help book, and we want to talk about that framework. What's on the horizon for you next?
2: That's a great question. I've been thinking a lot about over the past month. My life is a life full of stories. Nothing really works out as planned for me, which I think keeps it interesting. But the goal was to go on a six month road trip after the exit. And just travel across the country, visiting cities I've never been to, meeting people I've never met, sort of letting serendipity do its work. Because I know what I'm passionate about, but I'm not locked in on a specific business or idea just yet. I've got a handful. Again, it's like the double-edged sword of the entrepreneur spirit. So that that road trip got cut short at six weeks because Airbnb suspended my account because of my criminal history, which it comes back full circle, right? Supposed to be expunged. So I'm appealing that. But so I ended up coming back to Jacksonville and going to get a procedure done on my shoulder because of a little bit of wear and tear. And then hopefully I'll get back on the road. But as far as business goes, you know, I'm a fitness entrepreneur at heart. The core of it has to be something to do with movement. I think my time has come and gone in terms of like nutrition, plus I have a non-compete, but I'm not interested in starting another food company. It'll be in the fitness space, whether it's a unique franchisable gym model, or if it's some type of fitness app, or even if I pursue a career for a global fitness brand that already exists, I'm weighing all those options. And the Bible says, plant your seed in the morning and and work all afternoon. And you don't know if you'll profit from one or the other or both. And so that's kind of what I'm doing during this season.
3: Well, Jared, you've had an amazing path and you know, never knowing exactly which way it'll take you, but having some innate skills and talent and growing those and being consistent, persistent. And it sounds so similar to your personal fitness and when I look at business owners and entrepreneurs who start out in that, of course, we dive into our business and we're only limited by our time. We're just driving, driving, driving. We lose a lot of self during that time. <laughs> And this flows perfectly into something that you and everyone who's on this listening has experiences or will experience as far as we get to almost to that edge of burnout and we lose some of our focus on taking care of ourselves. And you're an expert at taking care of yourself. Being an entrepreneur and having the experiences you've had, what insight can you share regarding the element of coming out of the business once in a while and taking care of the engine that runs that business, being the business owner. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I love that you mentioned engine. You know, if you're a race car driver, you know that the most important piece is the engine, right? So if you focus on everything else, you're eventually going to lose the race. So for me, it's the same thing. And I was fortunate enough to be passionate about fitness, which means I'm passionate about health. And so from the very beginning of this journey, I've always told myself that the number one priority is my health. Everything else is driven by that. And so I have to keep that at the forefront of my mind. And it sounds selfish. And maybe it is, you know, I could be wrong. But at the end of the day, I know that in order to serve people long term, I need to take care of myself in the short term. And that looks like five, six days a week in the gym. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's weeks where it's two to three days, but it's still a priority. And it's recognizing the weeks that that needs to look like that. It looks like eating healthy because I know the way that I feel when I don't eat healthy and I know how my energy is and I know how my stress levels are and I know how reactionary I can be if I'm eating bad foods or getting bad sleep. And we all know a reactionary leader is not someone that anybody wants to follow long term. And so for me, it's always been the negative repercussions of putting everything else before my health reveals itself in the short term. So I'm not willing to make that sacrifice you know if i end up making 5 to 10% less money or if i end up building a 5 to 10% less interesting business in the short term because i'm putting myself first then i'm willing to make that sacrifice in order to build an enduring brand long term or to have people want to work for me long term or to keep close friends relationships healthy long term so it's always just been you have to put yourself first in order to keep everyone else a priority and i think we lose sight of that and i think a lot of that is psychological I think people get a lot of affirmation from being needed or being wanted. And of course I do too, but I get much more satisfaction from feeling good, feeling healthy, and feeling happy than I do when I'm feeling burnt out, but at least I'm needed. And so I just pursue that feeling versus the latter.
3: That's excellent. I can understand from your perspective, you've seen it. You apply it to your own life and the results are consistent. Am I keeping your performance to the level that you have for your standards and that sort of goes into some of the elements of your book going through various pieces and you come up with six practical ways to grow and in your case you've had growth not only in business you've had growth in your personal life and growth in your physical life and your health so you've got a lot of knowledge that you can share with us and you've done a great job of putting this together very concisely in your book. Talk a little bit about the book and why you structured it the way you did and what key features that have been fed back to you as being the strongest parts.
2: Yeah, so the book is originally inspired. I would say that I'm probably like pretty egotistical at the end of the day. And as a kid, I wanted to always be remembered. I think some of us probably struggle with that, but I did a lot as a kid and probably still do. But I remember reading a quote by Benjamin Franklin that said, if you want to be remembered, either do things worth writing about or write things worth reading. And so I didn't really expect myself to be the next noble athlete jumping out of airplanes or something. So I figured, you know, one day I should probably write a book. And so I'd always had this in the back of my mind, but I was never that great at writing. I was a C plus kind of student when it comes to literature or English class and stuff. So I put that on the back burner for a long time. And a buddy of mine inspired me about six years ago, To write a blog for his Christian website. And I did. It's always a little bit better when you have your buddy and God as a motivator, you know? So I figured, you know, I'll do this for him. And I wrote a blog and it was like a hit. People loved it. They loved how it was structured. I'm extremely pragmatic to a fault. So I'm very much like, I'm gonna outline things very easy to understand. And so they loved it. And that was inspiring for me. And it gained a little momentum. I continued to blog. And a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog called Six Ways to Never Stop Growing. It ended up being really, really long. For a blog. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. I left a lot out in this blog. I bet I could revisit it, make it about two, three times longer by inputting the context that I wanted to do in the first place. And maybe this could be my first go at becoming a published author. And so I did that about a year and a half ago. I revisited the blog. I worked on it, It took another six months to elaborate, to structure it. Of course, after I finished the transcript, pursued a publisher, and did all that stuff. And I didn't like the title Six Ways to Never Stop Growing. I thought that was too long. I thought it was a good subtitle. And I thought at the heart of this book, what is it? (laughs) It's it's a self-help book. People may not like that name or maybe be cliche, but again, I'm pragmatic. So I'm going to give you what you asked for. And the name wasn't taken. So I just ran with it. And, you know, everyone loves a good alliteration, right? So Six Ways to Never Stop Growing, Confidence, Competence, Clarity, Commitment, Connections, and Character. And the list is not exhaustive. Of course, there's many other ways you can grow, but these are some pillars. And the book was designed in such a way, one, it's short. It's just under 100 pages. You can read it in two hours. You could revisit it every single year or even every couple months and just open a certain chapter that you're struggling in, right? Let's say that your life is so busy and you can't even think straight lately. Just open up the book and revisit the clarity chapter, right? Spend 30 minutes to read the clarity chapter, take a couple of steps in that direction, apply a couple of the practical applications and then watch your life gain a little bit more clarity. Or you move to a new city and you don't know anybody, you just revisit the connections chapter, open up to a couple of those practical steps. Every single thing that I write about, anyone can apply to their life if they just follow the steps. And that's why I named it the self-help book because I want people to realize and accept the fact that you really can help yourself.
3: Jared, what I like about this book It is a basically a handbook. It's fast to pull together its concepts of how you want to apply your day or your moment, and you can keep it with you. So I like that. When you're looking back at your successes and challenges of the past, where would you say that many owners focus the most on or have the most difficulty implementing?
2: I think most owners struggle, and this is just from my limited experience, with pursuing self-help. They're always trying to help everyone else. And that is the key priority. Your team and your shareholders and your customers are what drives your business. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't exist without you. And if you don't take care of yourself or if you don't pursue personal growth, a couple things can happen. Your staff can outgrow you. Your company can outgrow you. Or the latter can happen and everything stops growing because you stopped growing. And you don't want either one of those things to happen. One of the things that I teach you know, my previous staff is that they have to commit to personal growth because I'm committing to growing the company. And if as an employee, you don't grow at or above the same trajectory as the company, you could potentially be left behind. And the, the owners, entrepreneurs, founders, they have to have that same commitment level to their brand. Otherwise, they're ultimately letting everyone down including themselves.
3: Jared, let's dive into one of these areas that is important to all of us. And you mentioned one earlier when we chatted offline, as far as you know, time management is a challenge for everyone. And we're always looking at another way of helping and making that happen. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think time management is one of those things that a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, leaders can struggle with because they don't make it a priority to create a time budget. And it seems very basic or entry level. But when we look at our finances, hopefully most of us have a budget, right? Because we know that we have something coming in and we have something going out. The same thing applies to time, except it's a little different. It's static. Like every single week we are given 168 hours. That never changes. We don't accrue interest on that time or anything. So we have to allot that to specific things. Some things are fixed and some things are variable. And so... What I've done, and this is something that I learned from being on house arrest for two years, because every Sunday you had to go to the correctional officer's office and present this sheet of paper that had 168 hours on it, and you needed to identify when you're going to be home, when you're going to be at work, when you're going to be at school, when you're going to be at church, and if you're going to be at anywhere like the gym or grocery shopping that had to get approved or denied. And so you needed to know what you're going to be doing over the next 168 hours prior And if you didn't plan it, it didn't get approved and you couldn't change your mind last minute because, again, you're on house arrest. You belong to the state. And so I had to get really, really good at managing my time in order to be productive because you can't, on a Wednesday afternoon, call your correction officer and say, hey, I'm going to stay late after class because I need to talk to the instructor. You can't really call the guy. So you need to plan ahead of time. Next Wednesday, I'm staying late with the professor and I need to get approval on that. So I learned the hard way. And of course, I don't want anybody to learn the hard way. But it's really changed how I lead and how productive I can be in a calendar week or even a calendar day. And so what I recommend doing, just like money, is writing out 168 on the top of a sheet of paper or Google Doc and subtracting maybe 40 hours of work. You sleep, let's say, seven hours a night, seven days a week. That's 49 hours, right? So that's 89 right there. You got to pick the kids up from school three days a week. That takes an hour of time, right? So three hours right there. You work out three days a week for two hours. That's six hours. You continue to subtract all the fixed time expenses. And then you look at your variable expenses. You've got date night every Thursday night, or you do poker with the boys Saturday night, like add that stuff in because it all takes time. Church on Sundays, whatever it is, put it all in your time budget. So that way you can see at the end of the day, you know, after you're fixed or your variable or your consistent time commitments, you've got 11 hours or you've got 50 hours or you've only got three. And this just like your financial budget can expose some changes that you need to make. Or if you've got a ton of free time and somehow you still at the end of the week aren't getting everything done, that might be a realization of how productive you are with the things you're doing or with how you look at your time. For example, for me, I eat five times a day on average, and that takes about 15 minutes. So that's an hour and 15 minutes every day. You multiply that by seven, you're looking at about 10 hours a week. So it's in my time budget, 10 hours a week of eating. It sounds a little ridiculous, but 10 hours is a lot of time. So I'm extremely meticulous with how I manage my time budget. So then I can make commitments and stick to them, or I know when to say no. And so time management is huge. And I think there's a very practical approach you can take to it. And then from there, you get used to it. You don't have to do this every week, but you get a lot better. And people learn to respect you as a leader that does what you commit to. And you're comfortable saying no to what you can't commit to. And people begin to follow that example.
3: Jared, I hate to use time metaphor here, but it's time we head out. And first, I want to thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Yeah, it's been good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
3: Well, Jared, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our audience today?
2: Yeah, if you'd like to check out the book, the self-help book, Six Practical Ways to Never Stop Growing, it is available on Amazon, of course, uh, really where any books are sold online. And then you can get the first chapter for free by jumping to jaredgrabial.com and dropping your email in the email newsletter space. And you can, of course, learn anything about what I do there as well.
1: Our guest today has been Jared Grable, business owner, developer, and author of the new book, The Self-Help Book, Six Practical Ways to Never Stop Growing. You can learn more about Jared, as well as find links to his book and free first chapter offering, all at our website at business Owners Radio.
0: Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.